Hello everyone, this is George Matt with the Carolina Tar Wheels. Today our guest is Dr. Elizabeth Jew. She is a dermatologist and also a piano player cellist and she enjoys uh, uh, hiking and scuba diving as well as cycling. I do. We're, we're glad to have her here to, to tell us about some of our dermatology issues that we all run into as cyclists. And before we get started on that, though, I'd like to ask, uh, what, what type of uh, cycling uh, experiences, what, what type of cycling do you enjoy? So, um, I'm a recreational cyclist. I don't do any competitions or anything like that. Um, my high school friend is actually one of the directors of the East Coast Greenway Alliance. And he is an avid cyclist and had invited my husband and I on just a mountain biking trip out at Lake Crabtree. At that time, I actually didn't even own a bike. So we decided to go to REI just to look at bikes. And lo and behold, they were having a garage sale. And I don't know if you've ever been to one of those, but they have fantastic prices. And we just happened to go on the Sunday after the garage sale where everything was an additional 50% off, including bikes. And they just so happened to have a bike in my size, a mountain bike, um, and we purchased that. And my husband happened to find a road bike, a carbon road bike, for a heck of a deal and purchased that. So we walked into REI thinking we were just looking at bikes and ended up purchasing two bikes and then having to buy a bike rack to actually take the bikes home. So mostly we do just mountain bike trails around this area um, and the American Tobacco Trail because we live very close to there. So we don't have to put our bikes on bike racks, which is a nice thing to do. Yeah. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, I, I think, you know, all cyclists at one time or another don't necessarily like to talk about these things, sure. but uh, we <laughs> experience yes. uh, pain uh well, you experienced saddle sores, and I was wondering right. if you could tell us about the different types of saddle sores and uh, how to cope with them and how to prevent them. Saddle sores are one of those things that you're just going to get if you're on the bike for long enough. There's certainly lots of things you can do to prevent it. The first sign that you would see with the saddle sore is just feeling almost like a bruise-like area on the bottom area, and then you'll start to notice breakdown of skin. And if you still don't do anything about it and you still ignore it, it can progress to actually open sores and wounds that then become exquisitely tender and painful to the touch and then can also start to weep. So I think many people do go through those kind of stages of saddle sores. I think the biggest thing to prevent saddle sores is keeping the area dry and offloading in a particular location. I mean, saddle sores are caused by the friction and the moisture and the pressure. And so those three things you have to kind of alleviate in order to prevent them. For the pressure, that might just be standing on your bike during some of the time that you're biking instead of sitting down the entire time or adjusting your position on the bike so you're not putting the same pressure at the same place every time. Moisture is really hard, in particular if you're biking in a hotter climate like North Carolina. I always tell bikers powder works down there and then just finding some sort of barrier. I had a patient last week who was an avid cyclist. He said he had won state and national competitions on the road. And his favorite thing was Aquaphor, which is a really good barrier ointment to kind of prevent the chaving of the skin. 
to prevent the bike sores. There's lots and lots of creams out there and you kind of just have to find one that works for you. But the most important thing is that you've had that barrier. And then the last thing is just that the moisture, the wet shorts, your bike shorts that get wet, really predisposes your skin to opening up and creating wounds. So if that means having a pack, an extra bib or an extra pair of biking shorts, if you know you're going to be on the saddle for a long time, that's something you can do. And I've also had lots of cyclists tell me having a different pair of shorts that have padding and cushion and other places can also kind of, again, offload that same pressure that causes the saddle sore. Yeah, I, I was with a group of cyclists one time and there was a big debate about whether you should apply anything between your skin and your bike shorts before the ride. Uh-huh. Or if you should wait until after the ride. So I'm on the mindset of prevention. So I would recommend applying it before you ride, which I know sometimes it's kind of annoying because any type of cream is going to be kind of ointment-like and it can actually kind of be unpleasant to sit in. But again, it provides that barrier that prevents the skin breakdown, which of course eventually come, becomes a saddle sore. Yeah, I read one description on the web. Someone was saying that the wetness causes your skin to soften up like after you swim mm-hmm. where, where you have the wrinkles in your skin right. and that, that it becomes more vulnerable at that time and, and that be why you might want to apply something before. Exactly, then, exactly. Yeah. I'm a big fan of keeping your skin as moist and intact as possible, but obviously this is a different type of moisture than, say, sweat that you accumulate um, down below. That's what causes saddle sores as well. But I think having a barrier to help your skin kind of reduce that amount of friction that you're having between the saddle and your skin or even between your skin and your biking shorts is helpful as well. So your your skin, as I understand it, has two layers. There's a thin layer at the top, epidermis, and then below that, the dermis, quite a bit thicker. But then below that is a fat layer. Correct. And the fat layer... Could could be cushioning, right? Could offer some cushioning for you? It can offer some cushioning, and obviously oh, in the okay. buttocks you have quite a bit of cushioning, but near the sacral region where a lot of people are sitting on, you don't have a lot of fat. Uh, the top layer of the skin, the epidermis, is thinner, and that's kind of the skin that turns over a little bit quicker. And then the dermal layer of the skin has two layers in itself. It's a papillary dermis and a reticular dermis. And then again, the subcutaneous fat is beneath that, but... Most people, when you get down to about dermis, is when you'll really notice the open sore really happening. Okay. One of my friends squares by a leather saddle. There's a company called Brooks that makes sort of a traditional leather English saddle. Okay. And he swears by that because presumably it conforms to your shape. I've also heard of avid cyclists having multiple saddles just so they can switch, again, offloading that same pressure point um, during their ride. And obviously, customized saddles are more expensive, and recreational cyclists probably don't have customized saddles. But, you know, some people will use different saddles just to kind of prevent saddle sorts if they know they're going to go on multiple day rides. Right, yeah, you could definitely swap them out each day. Right. You could could go back and forth or whatever so once you, you get the saddle sores and, and you really want to keep riding, you're on, a, you're on a, maybe a week-long ride or something like that, Yeah. what's the best way to treat them? You know, it's, I would say it's basic wound care. Keeping the wound clean, 
And you got to keep it covered because your skin's already vulnerable at that time now that it's open to kind of the environment. And whether that's a bandage, um, which a lot of people will use if it's in a place where you could put one, or again, changing your bike shorts or saddle so that there's more padding in the area that you do have the saddle sore. But the best way for it to heal up is going to be to take a few days or weeks off of from cycling and kind of let that area heal up. Right. There's no substitute for that. There's no substitute for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Another common ailment I guess any athlete would get would be itchy skin. Mm-hmm. You know, athletes put, uh, for uh, men would, would have may have issue with jock itch. Right. And uh, that can be persistent and difficult to, to make it go away. What, what, what do you recommend for... Well, interesting enough, most people who have jock itch also have athlete's foot. And the reason for that is it's caused by the same type of fungus. It's a species called trichophyton, and most commonly for jock itch is trichophyton rubin. And for athlete's foot, it's trichophyton rubin or um, metagrophytes. So whenever I see jock itch on a male, I always look at their feet, and I would say 99.9% of the time, they also have athlete's foot. Um, again, they can be very persistent, but the upside is that it's relatively benign and doesn't really affect your health that much. Now, again, the fungus loves to grow in moist, warm environments, and biker shorts being how they're tight and fitted and you have friction, again, creates that nice environment for them to thrive. So kind of the biggest thing is to keep that area dry, which is, again, you know, either having to take breaks during your ride to change your shorts or drying off in the area, and then also treating it with the topical antifungal, which there's plenty out on the market over the counter that work pretty well. Powders also actually help too, again, to cut down on the amount of moisture that you have. And both of those things can contribute to, again, providing a good barrier for your skin so that it doesn't get wounded and then allow these infections or the fungal to get into the skin and spread. Athlete's foot is, is very, very common. And and a lot of the times it's because, because people don't change their shoes and socks quite often enough. Because once they're damp, my rule is if they're going to be damp, you better be changing your socks. So just add another pair of socks to one of your bag bikes or something like that. And if they're wet or damp, change out of them. That will really cut down on infecting the rest of your toes or toenails because once it gets into the toenails there it's very very difficult to treat most times people will need something by mouth or a topical for a year so that can kind of be a headache as well and then spraying down and cleaning out your shoes making sure that they're dried out at the end of the day not leaving them in a damp cold place where they just continue to be kind of damp and not dried out is also a thing and then just changing your shoes frequently doesn't mean you have to throw them out but make sure that they're clean and if they are worn to throw them out mm-hmm. okay yeah you mentioned uh, toenails i guess the other thing with uh, nails is sometimes you get a black nail mm-hmm. from a bit of a trauma. trauma right so the black nail that you're seeing is because there's hemorrhage or blood underneath the toenail and a lot of times that leads to bruising and it takes quite a while for it to grow out once you're damaged Your big toe actually takes up to 18 months to fully grow out. So if you have some sort of trauma to your toenail, it might take up to a year for it to fully recover. Fingernails grow a little bit faster, of course. Your thumb will probably grow out anywhere between six months to a year. But again, that's a pretty long time if you have trauma to that area to see that. And a lot of people do worry about it. I think the biggest thing is to know that you had trauma to the area. 
because people can get melanoma, a type of skin cancer that has a very high mortality rate that can look like hemorrhage or blood in the toenail, which in fact it is a type of skin cancer. Yeah, we're getting serious there with the melanoma. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So just just knowing that and leaving the toe on is sometimes helpful because that's the nail plate or the actual nail that you see can protect the nail bed. Um, so that's not a bad thing to just kind of let it be and let it, you know, just hang out until it's grown out. So most of the time, just leave it be. I had a cracked nail recently, and I, I read on the web, <laughs> Dr. Google, for, <laughs> yes, that you could try a little super glue, like as nail uh -huh. polish, and yeah. it actually seemed to work pretty well. It sort of held it together so it didn't crack anymore, the, mm -hmm. the crack didn't get bigger, and uh, was that a good idea? Sure. Super glue is a wonderful thing. I mean, in medicine, they've taken the components of super glue and rebranded it into a medical gray type of thing called Dermabond, but no, I think... Super glue is great for things like that. If you want to prevent the nail from chipping off, I don't think it's harmful. Your nails are just kind of dead keratinocytes pushing out, uh, so I don't think it was harmful to do that. And if it certainly made it easier for you to go about your day-to-day -day, um, work, then I, I think that was a great idea. Yeah, I guess the one thing I was concerned about is do, do they do the nails breathe this air? pass through a nail or mm -hmm. that would that that would sort of seal that well any, any nail polish would seal up the nail right yep, yep. yeah and some people do try to strengthen their nails and you can put stuff on your nails to strengthen them but i don't think it was harmful to put super glue on your nails <laughs> okay okay sometimes on a long ride of course sunburn can be an issue yeah. too yeah. and um, Certain spots, the back of your neck seems to get it, front of your knees. I guess it's pretty obvious what to do for that, right? <laughs> yes, sunscreen or protective clothing and hats, basically protective personal wear. I'm a big, big fan of sunscreen. My rule is if you're going to be outside for more than 15 minutes, you better be wearing sunscreen. There's lots of sunscreens on the market. I tend to recommend something called a physical blocker. Um, sunscreens are basically put into two groups based on their active ingredients. You have physical blockers or chemical absorbers. The physical blockers, the active ingredient is going to be something like a zinc oxide or a titanium oxide where you have this inorganic um, substance that actually physically block the UV rays from entering your skin. Now the downside of these physical blockers is it's zinc or titanium oxide and it has that white pasty look and feel that a lot of people don't like. Um, lots of people and lots of companies have investigated this and many of them have micronized those molecules to be very small. And so now you can buy them either tinted or colored if you don't want to look white after applying it. Um, and it goes on a lot smoother so I think that's great. I mean the chemical absorbers are going to be what the majority of the market has on the shelves at some place like CVS or Target. And I certainly do think having a chemical absorber is definitely better than not wearing sunscreen. But I definitely tell people physical blockers, they work the best, and they tend to be more water resistant, which in for a cyclist, that, that would be good. The other thing about sunscreens, people just don't wear enough of it. The recommendations of the SPF or this safety protection factor is based on applying about one ounce to your entire body. 
which is a lot in most or two ounces. I'm sorry to your body per application. Most people apply about one ounce or half of the amounts that they're supposed to, and just they don't apply it frequently enough either. You're supposed to reapply sunscreen every two hours, and I and I think most people remember to apply it before they go out for a ride, but they don't necessarily remember to reapply it during the ride. Yeah, yeah. My first melanoma patient when I was a resident at Duke was actually a cyclist who came in. Uh, with a melanoma on their knee, and it's like, like you said, most shorts go to right above the knee, and then below the knee, people get excessive sun exposure, um, and you just really have to be careful if you notice something that's growing, changing, or bleeding on you. That melanoma can affect any ages. I've seen it as young as nine and as old as ninety. So just making sure that you're well aware of that. I just last week had a cyclist come in, and I took off five basal cells from him, and he's going to have to undergo multiple surgeries to to kind of get on top of them. And he said that he was occasionally wear sunscreen and occasionally not, and just kind of putting that in your routine of always wearing it before you go out on your bike ride. I think that's very very important. Um, and that's any takeaway message is that you should definitely wear sunscreen, keep yourself protected and covered, and if you're Above the age of 40 or 50, and have had extreme sun exposure, go see a dermatologist and get that full skin check. You never know what could be, you know, festering on your back in a place you can't see that's been growing. And then the earlier you catch a skin cancer, the smaller the surgery, and the easier it is for us to get it out. Are lighter colored skins more vulnerable? They are, unfortunately. So I always tell a patient if you're blue eyed or very fair or redhead, you really should be getting skin checks. And and a lot of them do because they have a family history of skin cancers and they see what their parents go through. And I have quite a few patients that come see me starting in their mid-20s and 30s because they've seen their parents who are in their 50s and 60s undergo these surgeries and they don't want that. But yes, they're definitely more at risk than darker ethnicities such as Asians or Hispanics. But that's not to say that we can't get skin cancers either. I've seen that as well. Right, right. I guess the uh, the skin pigment melanin that protects the skin somewhat, right? The melanin does protect your skin, and you know when the UV hits the skin, it actually activates your melanocytes to try to pr- produce more melanin because it senses that damage to the skin. So darker skin individuals have this. And lighter skin individuals have the same amount of melanocytes, but we have different sizes and amounts of melanosomes and melanin, and that's kind of what differentiates why um, lighter skin individuals are more prone to skin cancers. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's been a really warm winter this winter, but I wanted to ask you about when it gets really cold. Should you put something on your face in the really cold weather when you're riding? Yeah, so in the the cold weather, there are kind of multiple things that really wreck your skin. One of it is in North Carolina in the summer and spring, it's so humid here. But once the winter rolls around, it actually feels quite dry. So you'll notice that your skin is really dry. And once cold air hits that dry skin, it can be quite painful and kind of that sharp feeling. So I definitely think keeping, again, a good barrier of your skin and keeping it healthy, applying a moisturizer before you go out is helpful. And if it is going to be really cold, yes, having some sort of face mask to kind of protect your skin is also good. And and then sunscreen. You know, in North Carolina, you really need to be wearing sunscreen year-round. And if you live in the northern part of North America, you can get away of using just sunscreen around April to October. But in the south, it really needs to be kind of a year-round thing because the UV radiation still gets through even when it is cold outside. 
Okay. Interesting. And I was on a ride once when someone got stung by a bee while uh -huh. they were riding. And I uh, just wondering if you could talk about <laughs> insect bites for a, a bit. Oh, yes. Insect bites are kind of a nightmare in North Carolina during the summertime, for sure. Everybody reacts to insect bites differently. So, for instance, my husband is a lucky guy, and for some reason, if an insect bites him, it goes away within 15 minutes when he does absolutely nothing. If I get bitten by an insect, it festers for days onto weeks before it finally goes away. Um, there are a couple of things you can do to kind of help protect yourself. Again, wearing clothing, protective clothing when you're biking, kind of long pants, long seas if you can. But when it's hot, that's really not feasible in 90 degree weather in North Carolina. So go ahead and using deep base product if you know you're going to be riding someplace in a woodsy area, especially if you're doing something like mountain biking. You do really want to be careful, not with just bees or mosquitoes, but ticks are a big thing in North Carolina. Lyme disease and Rocky Mountain spotted fever can both occur here, and those are from ticks. So making sure that you either cover up or wear some sort of insect repellent, and then checking yourself after your ride to make sure there's not any critters that have latched on. But once you have the bite, there's a couple things you can do to help it. You know, the main thing is that you're going to be itchy. And when you're itchy, you're going to want to scratch it. And when you scratch your skin, you open it up, and that causes an open wound. So the biggest thing is to prevent you from itching it. So you can take kind of antihistamines, and that could be in the form of Zyrtec or Benadryl, both over-the-counter medications. Or you can put a topical steroid on, and in over-the-counter you can get something like a hydrocortisone 1%. It's not very strong, but it would be helpful. Of course, if you get multiple bites, that's when you should probably go see a dermatologist. You probably need something a little bit more than what's offered over the counter. And then in the rare, rare cases where people are severely allergic to bee stings and go into anaphylaxis, if they have a known history of that, making sure that they carry epinephrine pin with them on rides in case that does happen. EpiPen, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it can affect your breathing, right? Correct. And, uh, once it starts affecting your breathing, it becomes an emergency situation. Correct. Correct. You need yeah. to call EMS and, uh, exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've been talking to Dr. Elizabeth Jew. Thank you so much, Dr. Jew, for talking with us. This has been George Mapp with the Carolina Tar Wheels. Great. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I forgot to ask Dr. Jew about road rash. Fortunately, I left the recorder on. We were talking about moisture barriers. Well, the one thing I read, I was reading about was Vaseline, and someone was recommending it as a moisture barrier, but then later I read, well, yeah, maybe so, but it'll ruin your shorts. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. I love Vaseline. Some people can't tolerate it because that's greasy feeling really good to them, and it can because it's kind of oil-based. It can ruin the shorts, but that's if you, like, goop it on. If you do, like, a nice, thin layer, I don't think it really does terribly, but... I still definitely recommend the good old, old Vaseline that you can get a whole tub for for like a dollar. Uh, yeah, really, that's good stuff. That's good yeah. stuff, you know. And I, I really dislike Neosporin. I never use Neosporin because people are allergic to the Neomycin that's in it. That's one of the top allergies in skin. But people love putting it on road rashes or other. Oh, I must ask you about road rash. I was riding once with veterinarians, and we were yeah. talking about it, and they basically said to, to uh, irrigate it, to clean it. Mm -hmm. But I guess if there's sand or something, you, you really need to out. go in there and get it out. You don't do. You? you do. 
I try to carry one of my bottles, just plain water, uh -huh. in case yeah. I encounter some road rash, just to, just to clean know, it irrigate out. it a little bit. And, I think that's a good idea. So the neosporin is just so many people are allergic to it. Is yeah, that why it has neomycin in it, and a lot of people are allergic to it. So they put it on, and they're like, "Man, my wound's getting worse, and it's starting to itch." They're allergic to it. Oh. Oh, yeah. So in most cases, you don't really need an antibiotics, which right. is, I guess. If you do want to go with antibiotic, I tell them to go polysporin because they don't have the neomycin in it. But they've done studies. They looked at wounds treated with Vaseline, wounds treated with polysporin, wounds treated with neosporin. They all perform the same. So, yeah, in my house, you will not find any of those things except for Vaseline. Interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I had a... Um, I had an abrasion once. I was playing basketball, and, and I, on the way home, I stopped at a pharmacy, and he said, "Just clean it." And he said, "Put some neosporin or some yeah. kind of yeah, yeah, put some of that on there." So. Well, not everybody's allergic to it. So if you're not, it's typically fine. But I actually have been called to the ED once because somebody kept putting neosporin onto their wound, and it, the wound started out this big and had enlarged to cover most of his lower leg. He's allergic to the neosporin. But he kept using it because he thought that was helping, and so they, they called and were in panic. It was like, we need to admit this man to the hospital. I'm like, no, you don't need to admit him to the hospital. Just have to ask him to stop applying neosporin uh, on it. Sure enough, I saw him a week later in my clinic, cleared up. So oh. now I'm always just like, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Save yourself the trouble.